0: This is Office Detox. Personal stories reflected in this podcast are true, but details have been changed to protect the companies and people involved. We were waiting in line at the Bellagio in Las Vegas. My coworkers and I stood to watch the world go by in our uncomfortable shoes with heels too high and maybe pants a little too tight. The unexpected thing that I like about Las Vegas is that people are there just acting like themselves. If you wanna gamble or you wanna be whatever you wanna do, you can. And there's a certain freedom to that. I absolutely need to get the incidentals on my manager's card, said my coworker, Nadia. She managed the department adjacent to mine and most of the office reported to her but she also had this habit of treating things like they were hers when they weren't. The front desk people at the Bellagio were the creme de la creme of service. They professionally explained to my coworker that they could not put the incidentals on the boss's card, cool as a cucumber, but also showing in that professional way that the answer was indeed no. My colleague pushed to see her supervisor The supervisor was professional, well-dressed and beautiful. She didn't bat an eye, but my colleague never stopped. She was like a Mack truck. And after 45 minutes in that awkward line, the folks at the hotel gave in. She got what she wanted, her incidentals on the boss's card. I had seen this behavior as well before. We went to an event that gave us free stuff once and she ended up claiming it all for herself. When we got a new office, she got the biggest space and the nicest desk. She went on luxury holidays on the company's dime when the rest of us didn't. She drove a BMW, but I don't know quite how she afforded it, but I also didn't want to ask because that's private. Things that were nice somehow made their way to her. It was kind of like an assumed close around office things so my sales uh, friends will understand that little joke <laughs> shortly after that trip i chatted to hr about doing a small investigation into what that was all about i'm not quite sure what happened next but a few days later this woman and her assistant were fired i heard rumors of parties going on of th- tens of thousands of dollars of these funds used for la- lavish personal parties along with many other financial abuses I was part of a reconciliation of receipts from her department that was completely separate from the trip. And during that reconciliation, I found that there were hundreds of thousands of dollars unaccounted for with one of the vendors. Could this have been some kind of arrangement, some sort of sharing of the spoils? I couldn't figure out how the receipts connected to the actual work done. And that's really just kind of like that basic of how to do an audit. This was real money from hardworking people, the trainees who were out in their communities making business happen, so this woman could live like a movie star in Vegas. Office Detox is a podcast about business from someone who is completely passionate and enamored with it. In business, you can make something from nothing. In business, you find inventions that push forward progress. But a small minority of people are toxifying the workplace, and the rest of us have to struggle through it. What if we could identify them, detox the office so the rest of us can do our job and live our lives? My name is Stefania Sigurdsson-Forbes, and I'm your host of Office Detox. My promise to you, dear listeners, is to go through what I think of as the dirty dozen. It is the dirty dozen of what makes business so dirty and hard. And so if you're a young person, you can go into it with your eyes open If you are investing in a business, you're seeing it from the real view. If you're someone who's been around for a while and waking up to what your environment is really about, you can come on this bus too. I truly think it's just a small minority making it really hard for us. And I'm sticking to that over time. So I've already covered dangerous personalities and first followers. Everyone seems to love my narcissist episode. Um, It seems to be the one that just people love to download, but there is uh, others. And um, I wanted to cover theft. Overall, I've seen quite a few crimes occurring in the workplace, including narcotics, abuse, hiring sex workers, for example. But theft is probably the most prevalent. If you saw them, you'd think that they were just regular offices. But all of this is going on, and it may be going on in your office too. Theft in a business context seems to go largely unreported. Often there is just a slap on the wrist or the person is let go but there's no trial or any sort of office procedure partly to save face in terms of the business end and perhaps the money and time spent with lawyers is not worth it. Also usually in an office there is friendships developed and people just feel it's better to leave that little indiscretion swept under the rug. But there's definitely a financial toll to theft According to Security Magazine, employee thefts cost U.S. businesses $50 billion per year. Quote, and you can see the link to the article in the show notes, according to a Hiscock study, U.S. businesses affected by employee theft lost an average 1.13 million in 2016. Small and mid-sized businesses accounted for 68% of cases, and their medium loss last year was 289,5864. So this is a huge amount of money that is lost. The median amount is quite a bit. It's quite a few salaries in that $289,000 uh, number. The most common embezzlement scheme was funds theft, followed by check fraud. 70% of all check fraud occurred at companies with fewer than 100 employees. Many of the frauds, particularly in high-loss cases, involved diverting small sums of money over a long period of time. In 28.7% of cases, the employee theft took place for more than five years, which makes detection challenging. There's also a business toll that happens as well. People are focused on draining the company of resources instead of doing their actual job for one. In government, Bernie Sanders calls this kleptocracy. Also, it becomes an empire of the person at the center of the theft rather than an organization dedicated to covering some sort of strategic mission or, you know, creating something or building something. Like, you know, a lot of us are passionate about business. That's what we're trying to do. As I'll show in my story about Nadia and my feature story, my personal experience shows me that the theft took precedence over everything else in the organization. There's the grooming phase of employees getting them to comply, and there's also others who are too afraid to say anything. So let's get to this week's story. Today we're going to talk about the city controller of Dixon, Illinois, Rita Crandwell, from Dixon City Hall, who embezzled $53 million from the city's coffers. All of the research from this came from an excellent documentary, All the Queen's Horses, created by filmmaker Kelly Richmond Pope, and I got some research from Wikipedia as well. Rita Crandwell was born on January 10th, 1953, on a small family farm near Dixon to parents Ray and Caroline Humphrey. She was normal, pretty, smart, and popular, and her mother had a love of horses. She went to Dixon High School, and during school, she had one of those days with the government jobs, And then she got the job full time. In 1974, she married engineering technician, Jerry Crendwell, but the couple divorced in 1986. So Rita eventually became the treasurer of the town, a job that lasted three decades. People who knew her said she looked after every penny as if it was her own. She kept a small circle around her and she was known to be a really nice person. Now, is that because she was actually nice, or was it because it worked for her to be nice? While Rita lived as city clerk by day, which is typically a job that is pretty humble, she had a second life, which we seem to see so often nowadays. So by day, she was a simple city clerk. By night, she was dripping with jewels and furs. How? Over the course of 22 years, Rita ran a scheme embezzling money. She stole an average of $2.5 million per year with a simple check fraud scheme, which I'll explain soon. So over the course of the years of the scheme, Rita used her money buying horses. She had several properties and raced her horses. In the documentary, they show a lot of shots of Rita at competition. She is wearing clothes that look to be beautiful with quality materials and cuts. The clothes were not overly gaudy, but you could tell that they were expensive. By the time of her arrest, she had over 300 horses across 22 farms in 13 states. She had a motor coach, which seemed similar to a very fancy looking tour bus that she upgraded five times, worth $2.1 million. At the same time, the city of Dixon was struggling each year, the budget committee would meet to decide where to cut. City people were getting laid off. Repairs did not happen. Vital city services were rolled back. So, how does someone steal $53 million from a struggling town? The people of Dixon were shocked that there was even that amount of money to steal since it was not this fancy, rich town. It was really kind of just like a normal small town that you see. But, you have to remember that this theft took place over 22 years. The embezzlement. The fraud was quite simple to understand and difficult to detect when the right procedures are not in place. Rita created a secret bank account at the same bank as her employer. The secret bank account had a clever name, Reserve Sewer Capital Development Account or RSCDA, So it looked like a city account and she was the only signatory. She would write checks to the treasurer and create false state invoices. The invoices would be for fixing sidewalks and street repairs. She ran this simple scheme for 22 years undetected. Rita worked side by side with Kathy Swanson, who was the assistant controller. In the fall of 2011, while she was on an extended holiday, Kathy discovered that there were 179 deposits and recognized that she'd never heard of this account before. In the documentary, Kathy is kind of like any neighbor you would have as a kid. She seemed like that kind of person who would bring cookies to the office. She's like that warm person who is the glue who holds everyone together in the office. Kathy had a good work friendship with Rita, it seems, and she was very upset when she made the discovery. She sat on it in a few days, then went straight to the mayor, James Burke. James then went to the FBI, telling them that there was a cancer at City Hall. While the FBI did the investigation, everything had to appear as though it was the status quo. Poor Kathy had to sit and ask Rita about her trip, about her dogs, etc., while she knew the FBI were doing their work in the background. During the course of the investigation, Rita embezzled $1.5 million. Rita had a crawl space that held a detailed record of the embezzlement. It was one of the most egregious cases of fraud the FBI ever worked. So how prevalent is this? The question is, how prevalent is embezzlement in the workplace? How many operational funds are mishandled? How many hotels in Vegas benefit from unauthorized parties? How many cash bonuses are handed out to friends? How many sweetheart deals with vendors are completed? For my friends who have worked across many industries, it seems that this happens in the public sector and the nonprofit sector as well. There are quite a few safeguards that should have protected the city of Dixon from Rita and her fraud. And without getting overly boring, I can explain some of them, and a lot of them will probably seem like common sense. First, there were auditors. The external auditor's role is to explore each and every transaction and match that against the original invoice. They also check to see if the work was actually done. So it's not that complicated. If apparently there were, were road repairs done on Main Street, they could walk over to Main Street and check it out to see if there was anything recently done. Or at least walk down the hall and ask the people in the road maintenance department to see what was up with Main Street, you know, who the crew was, if there's pictures or, you know, anything else that goes along with a job like that. In that case, the auditors failed in their duty. Apparently, they're very close to Rita, and they also did her personal books. So there is the eternal problem of auditors being paid by the very companies who they're supposed to be auditing, creating a clear conflict of interest. Now, in the cases I've seen personally, the bosses did actually want to find out about the fraud. But in this case, Rita was the main contact, and her personal account management presented a clear business opportunity. In the documentary, they actually stowed some of the fake invoices, and they looked really, really fake. Like they looked like something you would just make up in Microsoft Word or even you know, your, your 10-year-old child could do it in Microsoft Word. So this is not a very sophisticated type of fraud at all. But the amount and the time that was spent doing the fraud is just mind-boggling. Smaller versus bigger business. I would guess that this type of fraud takes place more in smaller businesses because one person can wield so much control. In a small business, or a small city, or a small nonprofit, for that matter, the person doing the deposits may also just manage the bank accounts as well. There's no real separation of duties. Once there is separation, or different people having different duties, there is a double check. I think, in a way, when there is a friendly family atmosphere, there is going to be a greater likelihood of this kind of fraud happening. Why? When there is implicit trust, there is no double checking. Although this is too bad, since it would be nice if a work environment could be completely warm and trusting, since this small percentage of people are going to behave this way, we have to have a bit of cool distance as well. And when they showed uh, the department afterwards and, you know, the boss who took over after Rita, you could tell that it was much more professional, but you could also tell that Kathy kind of wished and maybe longed for that warmer kind of environment that she had before. So there's always that, um, that balance that is there. So how is this toxic? The topic of this podcast is office detox. And as I mentioned before, I'm going through this dirty dozen, and those are the elements that are contributing to this dirty soup of a workplace that we currently have. Hopefully raise awareness and help the vast majority of us who are not toxic create a better environment for ourselves and our families. From my own experience, with the hotel and invoice fraud, there were a few things that went on. The woman, Nadia, had to do everything to maintain her power and control. So she would appear above reproach. For example, she was controlling of every aspects of our lives, including the hours that we worked. So we had to be all sitting at our desks, from nine to six, no matter what, with no exception. And this is in a world that's pretty flexible nowadays. She drove a BMW, wore expensive clothes, and had other trappings of the wealthy. She did whatever she could to have any kind of designer label, so she appeared to be on top. You could say she was kind of a proto-Kardashian. She also took great measures to look good instead of being good. So any project that her staff were managing, if it hit a road bump, she would turn around and blame the person instead of trying to get to the root of the problem, as would be pretty standard manager practice. Getting to the root and solving the problem is actually just the simple way of making sure that it doesn't happen again, with the least amount of drama and energy expended. I'm just seeing this world turn into this, you know, uh, knee-jerk reaction, you're fired. But firing someone and finding someone new is actually a huge energy consumer. And it's just way easier to try to solve the problem. And also, 100% of the time, that person isn't the problem. Sometimes it is. But, you know, sometimes the problem is, is you know, a uh, process or something else. So, you know, the you're fired approach isn't always the right one. So, Looking back, I think keeping this clean reputation was part of her doing her frauds. I cannot say 100% that she would have done differently if she was not stealing from the company, but this need to always be on top for sure contribute to a toxic atmosphere in the office. I remember the day that she was fired and walked out of the office. People could not understand what was going on and they were afraid that a bunch of people were gonna be fired at the same time. As this went on, News of the fraud permeated the office gossip, and eventually we all moved on. So was it a victimless crime? If she was not stealing from the company, maybe the trainees would have had more spent on marketing, or another young person or new Canadian could have had a job. Instead, it went to her, her parties, her BMWs, and her fancy house. One thing I would be neglectful to say is to give this situation some context. This workplace, if you've been listening to my other episodes, was full of narcissists and predators. And sometimes when that happens, an anarchic attitude takes place. I'll admit that at one point I saw a Mac computer, which we retired. And one night I took it home thinking no one would notice. When people did notice, I embarrassingly brought it back. So I was part of it too, in a minor way, which I reversed right away. But sometimes when things are chaotic, you get caught up in that storm. In general, I don't see Nadia as a victim, but I do think she did a crime of opportunity rather than someone who would be toxic under any circumstance, if that makes sense. The result. In the case of Rita Crenwell, In 2013, Judge Philip Reinhardt sentenced Crundwell to 19 years and seven months in prison, close to what prosecutors had sought. Reinhardt noticed that she put her passion for raising horses ahead of the needs of city residents who had entrusted her with their funds and a significant prison term was required to restore public confidence. Reinhardt was so disgusted with Crundwell's behavior that he revoked her bail and remanded her to custody rather than allow her to self-report to prison. Crundwell appealed the sentence, but the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals upheld it in November of 2013. So she's scheduled for release in March 5th, 2030. The month after Crundwell left, Dixon's new finance director said the city had seen almost, three, uh, almost $300 million in rebound since Crundwell's arrest, but the operating budget of the city was still off by $16.6 million. It also reported that Dixon lost $30 million in operating funds over the prior decade. The city sued its outside auditors, as well as the city's banker, Fifth Third Bank, for ignoring numerous red flags in Crundwell's action. In September 2013, the auditors of the fifth third agreed to pay the city $40 million in legal settlements while the auction of Cronwell's assets brought over $9 million. So in this case, there is, you know, years of layoffs, years of work not getting done, years of rolling back city services, but at least in the end there was justice for at least the bank, the um, the asset sale, and also the auditors. So what can you do about embezzlement in the workplace? The first thing you should do is report it to HR if you see it. This is something that they'll actually follow up on, even though, as you know, I'm pretty skeptical of HR, which you're gonna see in later episodes. If you do think a colleague is stealing, you may wanna distance yourself as much as possible from them. As Kathy Swanson said in the story, she had to be very careful, lest the FBI think she is part of the fraud as well. In my personal case, both Nadia and her assistant were fired at the same time. And I actually don't know how guilty that assistant was, but maybe it was a guilt by association. If you own a business, you may want to watch for any time there's a single person signing checks or approving expenses. Many companies have two signatories on each check to make sure that it is safe. The same goes for approval of digital stuff um, expenses it can be done by the line manager and then the accountant for example so sorry to get kind of boring but i know there's some small business people listening in today no one should be put above any kind of scrutiny no matter what kind of dri- car they drive or how good a friend they are so my friends that is the it for this round of office detox. Look out for next time when I cover Office Cults, number seven of the Office Detox Dirty Dozen. If you'd like to learn more about this initiative, visit my Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash gravityhubteam, or you can email me at Stefania at gravityhub.ca. I appreciate you, my loves, for continuing to listen to this, and I hope that you are getting something out of the experience. Have a great day. Bye-bye.